All right, good uh, good morning or good evening or afternoon, depending on what time I, I post this episode. Uh, this is Cowboy Pennywell Jr. This is episode 11 of The Glory in Our Stories. Um, today, I have the pleasure of interviewing uh, Miss Monet Robinson, um, a.k.a. Nefertiti. Uh, for those of you who are local citizens of Augusta or the CRSRA in general, or who have actually had the pleasure of attending one of her many and countless performances. Um, as I begin this interview, I'd like to elaborate on how I met the individual. Uh, the coolest thing was, I think it was at a uh, fellowship gathering. I met Monet and Chris. It was at a house, a large house downtown. And uh, the cool thing about it was, <laughs> When I first saw Chris, I think I told um, Adrian this, he looks like the, the king from The King and I. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was like, so he's not, he, no, he can't be black. Oh he has to be gosh. something. I don't know what it is. So, that's what I thought. But, but the funny thing was, I didn't know that at the time, y'all weren't married mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. But you presented yourself as such. Which I thought was very admirable. Interesting. So this whole town think, oh, they've probably been married for a while. Because that's the way you all carried yourself. Wow. So nobody else walked into the room like that. Like, I've, well, I've, everybody in there I've met somewhat. I think there was only other, maybe two other people that were a couple. Okay. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Sheena and Philip was there. Oh, I love them so much. I um, <laughs> goodness, who else? There was a couple there that are not together anymore. Mm-hmm. I forgot their names. But when y'all walked in, I was like, oh, they must be like an older <laughs> married couple. <laughs> so they're all cool. Wow. And y'all were, y'all were very just cool people. Cool people. Y'all were talking to everyone. And the one thing I admire about, about Chris, like Chris, he's, he's always smiling. And he's always positive. And most, most men that I've met who are husbands, like they just so brawny and just stoic, I guess. And they just, they're not, not, they just, it's very stiff. And it's usually the wife that's just friendly. But both of you all, like, y'all were together and then y'all split because you're talking to different people. And then you would talk together with different people. And you just had this, this aura. That's so interesting, That I admired. And that's, I always remember meeting y'all at that point. Because y'all, y'all set a standard for you all's relationship. Wow. So, um, but yeah. Very cool observation. I, it had to be subconscious because I never have heard that mm-hmm. be said before. So that's, I really appreciate that. Oh, no problem. Chris is so strong emotionally and mentally. Yeah. Um, so when you say, every t- he's always smiling. And the, the things that you pointed out, I mean, they're just, they're true. Even with me, you know, I see the real Chris. That's the real Chris. He's so strong. He's so resilient. And he is very, very hard to get, I I mean, it's just hard to, it's very, very difficult for him to be discouraged or, um, and it definitely happens, but I've never met anyone that strong before. Yeah. He just has such a great filtering system like, okay, this is what's important. These are my non-negotiables. This is what I'm confident of. And unless it matters, it doesn't matter. He's Mm -hmm. just unbotherable. 
You know, it's it's just incredible. I'm so proud of him and I love him. But I'm I'm very glad that you noticed that and picked up on that. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. And for y'all to be mature and young, that's that's rare. Because a lot of people once they get married, like they they find out things about each other and about the concept of marriage that they weren't really either prepared for or fond of and things just don't work out. And I know every couple has this period where and I've heard many couples say because they've probably been married for a long time, but they were like, you know what, at the beginning we almost didn't make it. And I'm like, Really? Because it's that uh it's over miles. Um, it's that process of getting learning more about each other and then learning more about yourself and realizing that I don't think I wanna do this. So it was just nice to see that at during current times. Because, which we'll get into later, like the concept of marriage and how it's yeah. being devalued to the point Unfortunately, where... Unfortunately, yes. To like, you, to having, um, <laughs> the, like the term side chick, like it's, I was like, that's, that's legit. Like that's an actual role that somebody feels. Mm -hmm. And they, I've heard countless radio talk shows talk about that particular concept. But yeah. we'll get into that later. But first, I just want you, if you can, give us a little bit about you, your backstory, your upbringing, and what led you to where you are currently. Sure. Well, first of all, bro, thank you so much for this platform. Thank you for what you're doing in the community. No um, this series is so, so encouraging because it it focuses on real people. Mm. You know, people are so interested in celebrity culture and, you know, just celebrity figures. And honestly, there's so much beauty around us in the ordinary, regular people around us. Yeah. I'm very thankful to have been included in the series. <laughs> so I thank you for that. No problem. So I am an Augusta native. Born and raised in Augusta, I grew up down in East Boundary, and um, I was raised in a single-parent home. My mother is a saint. I absolutely love her. She is so, so kind, so, so patient, and she's a woman of faith, mm -hmm. and she taught me, basically, without without really putting it into words, but just through her life, she taught me that what you become is not as important as who you become, who you're becoming. Yeah. Whatever you do, that's, that's gonna, the person that you are will make whatever you choose to do effective, beneficial, good, great, you know, whatever. So, I, I am so grateful that she was my mother. Because I do come from a background of, you know, I grew up without a dad in the household. Not just that, though. I grew up without a dad, without a relationship, without a connection to my father. And I have an older bro who I love so much. There's a huge age gap. He was 16 years old when I was born. So he's, you know, pretty much on his way out while I am hitting the scene and, and figuring out, you know, how to talk and stuff. He's, <laughs> he's pretty much on the way out. So 
you know, he was he was there when he could be, and but he had his own life and he had his own direction and and things going on, and actually, I think when I was two, close to two, he had a kid of his own, so he really did have a life of his own. And so my mother was my foundation, and she taught me my foundation, and she raised me with the support of her mom, my grandmother, and her sister, my aunts. So, you know, I come from a matriarchal background, and they did the best that they could. And I am really, really grateful, really, really grateful for the example that my mother provides for me in her faith and in the way that she treats and interacts with others. And we, we can go into this a little later, but my mother is actually clinically, she, she was diagnosed with paranoia schizophrenia. And this happened way before I was born. She had some type of nervous, some type of mental breakdown. And a series of events occurred that I will never, I will never be able to be clear on or get the exact facts of what happened. But, you know, that's the diagnosis. And so growing up, I always felt shame about when someone said something about schizo. You know, the way that we throw around the term crazy, they're crazy, or she's schizo or whatever. I always grew up ashamed of that. And I didn't want to talk about that because I felt like it would, I would be looked at like, you might be too. You know, like you, you're not normal either. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate, you know, because this is my mother and the fact that I would respond that way, even though I was so young and I, of, of course, still learning about selfishness and stuff like that, but I'm concerned with how people will see me and, and what that means and, and whether or not I'll be looked down on when really the issue is, you know, how we see people who suffer from mental illnesses. And I'm going to tell you, I never knew anything was wrong. My mother is so intelligent. She's so kind. She's so, there, to this day, I'm like, are we sure that's the right diagnosis? Yeah. I'm not so sure. And, you know, to be honest, it's, it's extremely complex and nebulous. And they don't even really know what it is or what causes it. But, you know, that's the diagnosis, and I'm surprised, and, and I'm just looking at her beautiful mind and the way that she prioritizes others and the way that she is aware of God and the way that she reads and studies and is interested in certain things. It's just amazing to me. So that is something that I grew up, I guess, with kind of like wanting to always hide that or not wanting people to know about it or not wanting people to um, talk about it around me. Mm -hmm. And as an adult, in retrospect, I am definitely on the other end of the spectrum. Now I want to, I want to make sure that I am not perpetuating this stigma around mental health in the conversation and that I'm seeing them as people, as, as humans, and that I'm seeing them as not, I don't want to say normal because what is normal anyway, but yeah. I want to see them as normal as possible while acknowledging and honoring who they are and what they're having to, the burden that they bear. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's, it's definitely something that affected my childhood and 
Um, I basically around and I got into Davidson Fine Arts, which changed the trajectory of my life because again, I'm I grew up in the hood, single parent home, regular high school. I'm sorry, regular elementary school that was not it was not racially diverse or culturally diverse. And so I'm getting to middle school, and a lot is going on, but eventually it's very difficult to hide my mother's mental struggles because she wanted up taking herself off of her medicine. Mm -hmm. And long story short, we ended up being evicted. And she was trying to hide it. She was trying to, to save face and, and, you know, just fight. She fought until the end to try to avoid it from happening, but it just... It couldn't be prevented, and next thing you know, we're evicted. And that was a huge summer. That, that was a catalyst of a summer because I had to figure out, and there were different things going on anyway. Like I said, my brother was pretty much out of the house. So there were instances where I, I, I saw signs like she would... When we would go grocery shopping, we had a very, very limited budget. When we would go grocery shopping, I noticed that she would buy things that would make me happy, but not necessities that we actually needed for health. Yeah. So I was like, Mom, maybe I should do the grocery shopping. Maybe you should, you should get these things, not these things. I, I'm glad, but we got to get these things. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, there were signs, but no, nothing could have, I, I had no clue and no way of knowing because she was good at hiding things. I had no way of knowing that we were on our way on the streets. So luckily I had a wonderful community, one of my best friends in middle school and her, her family, they basically had been spending a lot of time with me anyway, and I was sleeping over at her house anyway. It kind of worked out to where I never actually had to. My mom went to my grandma's house, and I went to who to stay with who became my godmother. So that was a huge blessing. But man, I'm telling you, that summer I grew. I learned a lot, and I grew up, and and I I had to face a lot of ugliness that life can bring. And um, it still wasn't the worst, though. Some people have it so much worse. Some people didn't have... Some people have been evicted and they had nowhere to go, you know. So it definitely could have been worse, but it was hard for me. Mm -hmm. It was one of the hardest things I've ever gone through. But that, that was one of the one of the summers that changed my life. And I, I was like... Ninth grade, tenth grade. So I had a few years left in high school, and like I said, I was at David <coughs> Fine Arts, and that changed the trajectory of my life. And I was exposed to so many different types of people and different cultures, different races. It was amazing, and that's actually where I discovered and fell in love with jazz. Mm -hmm. That's where I discovered and fell in love with jazz, and. I I just look back on those days, even though there were some really tough times. <coughs> Sorry. Oh, you're fine. I look back on those days with so much nostalgia because I am so thankful that I was able to get to have that privilege to to have that access to that type of artistic community. Mm -hmm. Just 
I'm so grateful that I was able to do that. And I, I wound up graduating from Davidson. <clears throat> and I enrolled in Augusta State University and I studied music for a few years. And then I wound up dropping out. Lots of different, lots of different um, details go into why that happened, but I basically wound up dropping out and um, I started working part-time and eventually went back to school online, mm -hmm. but I didn't finish because I wound up needing a full-time job and once I secured that, I was excited, but it was difficult for me to continue to be a part-time student and work full-time. So I decided, okay, I will put that away, and should I return to it, I will finish. But up until this point, I actually have not felt them. I haven't felt led in that direction. Now, it's like I'm becoming more and more involved in the arts community and possibly just advocating for the city and, and for people in general. And um, I'm very, very grateful to still be able to hang on to or to have a, a, a foot in the door of academia mm -hmm. as an employee at a university because, man, it's just like my big city. It's, it's like there's, there's so much diversity here. There's conversations going on. There's, they're always pursuing technology. They're always pursuing progress. It's yeah. just great. So I, I do love that, and I love to learn. And honestly, I think one of the reasons why I'm, I pr I'm probably so ambitious about learning and knowing things is because I know that I dropped out of college, and I do feel this particular societal. I do feel like people might, if they knew that, they might look at me differently. And I'm growing in my confidence of, well, I mean, maybe they will. Yeah. It's just what it is. It wasn't for me. But for the most part, I still kind of feel like ashamed about it that I didn't finish or that I dropped out. But um, music. This, for the past two years, I cannot, for my entire life, I had been wanting to do what I've been doing for the past two years. But I never did it because I was so afraid. And even when I was at Davidson, I would not sing. I, w I was way too afraid. And I'm too much of a perfectionist. So basically, I would practice. And there were some of my friends that knew. I'm sorry, there's something wrong with my voice. <clears throat> some of my friends knew that I was in love with music and that I wrote songs, but for the most part, I kept it hidden and I didn't want anyone to find out because Davidson had so many talented people and I just wasn't ready to reveal that part of myself yet. Yeah. But a few years back, one of my friends, John Dunn, just asked me if I could open up for him because he had secured a, a gig mm -hmm. over in Surrey Center at the Surrey Tavern. And so I was like, oh, yeah, you need me? Yeah, I'm there for you. I got you. I got you. You're my friend. And I didn't think much of it. I just wanted to make sure that I did a great job. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was helping my friends. So I was like, this is, I, I'm not really looking for anything out of this. I just, let me just try it. Well, it went well, but 
I got another opportunity from that gig. So it's almost like him giving me that opportunity led to so many more opportunities. Mm -hmm. And now today, it's like, wow, I've, I've gotten the opportunity to sing at that festival and to play with this musician. And I'm just absolutely amazed because I was literally terrified for years, for most of my life to pursue this dream, even though I know it was what I was born to do, even though I knew it was what I wanted to do, I was too scared and I felt like I wasn't ready yet and that the timing wasn't right. So I'm, I'm amazed myself at how well things have gone. And honestly, it's because of how great a community Augusta is, how supportive and generous Augusta is, the people of Augusta, I mean. Yeah. So, I've, I've had the best experience in all of my fears that I had. The real experience and the real process is nothing like the fears that I had. So I'm very grateful for that. And I've, I've been able to clarify what my dream is and what, what my goals are for music. Yeah. Because, you know, previously, of course, 10, 15 years ago, I had some other view of the music industry and some other standard of success. But... Now, just experiencing what I have, it's informed even everything about, even, even the way that I create music, even the, the way that I pursue opportunities. It's, I have a different mindset now, and I'm grateful for that. And although I'm terrified to do so, I know that the time is coming for me to release something out into the world, to release a recording, a project, or something. Mm -hmm. And, <laughs> and um, I really need to do that. That is, it's, artists have a job, you know? Like, we, we have a job. Yeah. This common thing that we're seeing right now in celeb culture, where you can make and build a star and make an artist, that is not the real thing. Artists have a duty and we have a job. And we have a role, mm -hmm. and I need to to fully commit to that, and I need to just I, I I need to do what all the other artists have done, and be vulnerable and put it out there, and and just allow the criticism, allow the rejection, yeah. you know, just take it all, and just put it into the music again and release something else. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's basically. We didn't touch on faith yet, but for the most part, those are the things that I think have influenced me most. My, my mom, going to Davidson Fine Arts, my experience in college, and then my experience out of college and just doing things in the community. So as far as to go back to jazz, <clears throat> this question would be, why jazz? And the reason being is because with me, it's it's been poetry. It could have been fiction writing. It could have been uh, songwriting. It could have been screenwriting, playwriting. But for me, it was poetry because the connection that it had with my life. And because for me, I was very much of an introvert in high school, and I didn't know how to articulate myself in any form because I didn't think that I had the ability to do so. So I didn't find my voice till I got to college. Because one thing you realize when you're in a classroom, 
Nobody speaks for you but yourself. If you want your opinion heard, if you want any to have any input, you don't have to say. You gotta. You have to open your mouth. So that forced me to do that, and then my appreciation for writing it just matured in many ways than I thought. But poetry for me was my way of speaking. So for you, yeah, what was jazz for you? Oh, that it was my way of speaking. So. I kind of discovered jazz, but jazz also discovered me. It found me, it caught me, it captured me, it spoke to me. Mm -hmm. And in a way that nothing had ever done. I grew up listening to gospel music, some of the older stuff, not, not the contemporary gospel that we hear today, but this old choir type stuff and spirituals. And of course, those touched my soul deeply. And, you know, I, I loved all the genres. I loved hip hop. I liked R&B, love the 90s R&B better, but you know, I I, I liked R&B, but when I heard jazz, when I heard, I guess it was maybe um, the instrumentation, maybe the trumpet and the saxophone, I, I I can't tell you what the first record I heard was. Or the first vocal. I think the first vocalist was Judy Garland. And she was the lead character of The Wizard of Oz. And me seeing that movie is actually when I decided... I was in kindergarten when I decided I wanted to be a singer because I saw her on The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> but I can't tell you what, what was the first song that I heard. But I was at a rehearsal at Davidson Fine Arts. And I was dating one of the musicians... And he was a jazz musician. Mm-hmm. And at the rehearsal, I heard the song and I really loved it. And I was actually blown away by just the chords and the vibrations and the sounds and the expressions. And I went and looked up the song. I was like, I want to know what the song is. I went and looked up the song. And then at that time, I think it was like GPTV, Georgia Public Television. Mm-hmm. They were showing musicals like really really late at night and then there were also satellite radio channels just for jazz so I got into that and a lot of the musicals so many of them had jazz standards in them and I just indulged in the culture and I was it was just like Y'all are talking, y'all are speaking my language. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm in the wrong decade. Y'all are speaking my language and what you're, what you're playing and com- these compositions move me. And they speak to me in such a way as to where I feel like I'm finding out who I am. And mm-hmm. I feel like I'm, I'm I, I feel like this is my soul's music. And... There were, I remember this really funny memory, actually, because remember now, I'm in the hood, but I used to blare, like, 1940s big band music, big band swing, Mm -hmm. and you could hear it from the outside, but I remember somebody knocking on my window and be like, what the heck are you listening to? And I, I was just like, get something in your life, you know, but it's, it's just, I was indulging in it and repeat. My mother is a saint because I'm telling you, I would blare it just as loud as our just as loud as we would play hip hop or any other music. I would shamelessly 
repetitively indulging in all of these really super old jazz records mm -hmm. and, and memorizing them and teaching myself how to sing jazz. And so I honestly feel like it was it was destined because I didn't I didn't know about jazz until like middle school. And honestly, I had only heard negative things about it because one of my family members hates jazz. I had only heard negative things about it, but man, look, when you experience something for yourself and when you when you are when when you are um when something tugs at your heart and when something captures your heart, I'm I'm not I can't find the right word at this moment, but jazz definitely chose me. Cause I wasn't looking, I wasn't, you know what I'm saying? But it I did not it, it changed my life and it just it changed my life. And it also Another weird thing is I had been trying to sing for a while and maybe one of the reasons why I never really put it out there was because I was singing these different genres that didn't match my voice. And then I found jazz and I was like, this feels right. Yeah. This, this feels like my language or, or my, the tone of my voice. Mm -hmm. Because people were, they kept trying to make me belt and... and I was forcing my voice to do things that it just shouldn't have been doing and that didn't sound well. Yeah. And then, you know, it was almost like the perfect, it was like, wow, I actually have found a home in music. I felt like an outcast because I'm this African-American vocalist that doesn't sing soul music and that doesn't do runs and whatnot. And I love all of those things, and I'm, I'm impressed by those things, but my voice is my voice. It just doesn't do certain things. Yeah. And so I found a home with jazz, and I also just loved jazz culture. You know, the sophistication and the complexity, just all of it, just all <laughs> of it. It's, I felt at home. So I hope that answers your question. But, yeah. I found the language and I found my voice as well and it took it didn't take long at all it didn't take long at all but I just indulged in it and I, I, I became obsessed and I studied almost every great major instrumentalist or vocalist mm -hmm. because honestly I loved it so much and I enjoyed it so much and it was almost like an escape for me it was an outlet for me so that is it's my foundation and it's my discipline so mm -hmm. that I always go back to jazz to train my ear to grow my voice to learn how to write lyrically cuz I'm so horrible at lyrics but it's my it's my discipline it's it's really and I get it you know it's an it's a very old genre and there aren't many people. It's a very niche audience, you know? Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. Because to me, it's a fine art. You yeah. know, there's an art to everything. But it's just... And even though everything is an art, you, you know masters. You recognize masters. And you recognize greatness. Mm -hmm. And so... 
I think that jazz is a fine art and, and some of the greatest musicians to ever exist have played jazz, regardless of what the classical world wants to say. Yeah. Some of the greatest musicians to ever walk the earth play jazz. And it's an African-American invention. It's, it's not something that is solely, that solely we contributed to, but mm -hmm. it's something that came out of our pain and our struggle. Yeah. You know, it's, it's something, it's a language that we invented, and it's universal. Everyone, every culture has been touched, almost every culture at least. Mm -hmm. But it transcends different ethnic boundaries, and it brings people together. There, there were definitely, you know, residual effects of segregation and racism in the jazz world. But the jazz audience was integrated before the actual state, the, before popular culture was, yeah. because it brought so many different types of people together. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so cool. I think uh, a great example of that was your performance. Um, that night that we saw you um, at the... Uh, Tribeca yes. Lounge. The, the different types of people that were up there, the different instrumentation, and... I've learned from my point of view when it comes to jazz is that whenever there's a performance, it would never be exactly like that. That's so true. Never. <laughs> That's so true. It would never be because you don't know what you you don't know what anybody's going to say, and it's y'all y'all had a for as long as we were there y'all had a maybe an hour and a half conversation. That's basically what it was because. You would sing, then you would go to the side. It's like, okay, let me hear what you have to say. Yeah, and then he would yeah. say, he would speak, he would speak, okay, okay. And then, um, is it, what's his name on bass? Travis. Travis. And he was like, okay, Travis let me, let me, Shaw. let me, let me interject. Let me, this is what yeah, I have to say about it. This is what I have to say. And then, homegirl <laughs> on the drums, and I'm like, she's going at it. And Adrian and I were talking, I'm like, she's drumming, but she's talking to Monet. How in the world is she able to do that? And like she was just going and y'all was just and she was just talking and it's something <laughs> something has to be going on up here in order oh, for yeah. you to decipher between and just have that happen simultaneously. And I didn't really get introduced into like I I've I've known of jazz, but I had a professor that like loves it. This is an older oh, wow. older white guy. He's real real cool guy. And Ooh. he introduced us to um I, I, is, is it Art Berkeley? What's his name? I forgot his name. But he... Is it a drummer? Yes. Art Blakely? Yes, that's it. And I listened to him uh, back in 2011 or 10, but it's an old album like from the 60s. And I think it's like Blue Light, Blue Night Delight. I forgot the name of the song. Word. And Word. He's going, he's going in, and all of a sudden, the music slows down, and he's just on the drums for like five, five minutes, and then it comes back to the beginning of the song, yeah. and then all of a sudden, he just has this 30-second solo, and he's just going at it, and then it just comes back, and that's the lovely, that's the awesome, and it's funny that he does that, because it's funny you said jazz was speaking your language, mm -hmm. and I always reference a comment. The rapper because he's my he's my oh, favorite yeah, artist. Oh yeah, yeah. Chris loves commentary. Man, because he was speaking the way I thought 
Wow. So I'm like, yo, I understand them. Word. And this Word. is back when I was like, I was listening to Mace. I was listening to. I actually bought <laughs> his Double Up album, one of the worst purchases <laughs> I ever made in my life. Like I, <laughs> but yes, like when I heard him for the first time, I was like, wow, because he wasn't spitting bars, traditional bars. I know, right? Common was uncommon. Exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he would speed up, slow down. But he would stay within the measures of the music where it was, he wasn't going off beat. Yeah. And you could hear everything he was saying. And I was like, that's how I felt about jazz because it would stop, speed up, slow down, slow down, speed up. And you just, but everything fit. Yeah. And everything, it was just this back and forth, call and response and having a musical conversation. Mm-hmm. So that was that was my experience with it, and every when you would speak upon that, I understood that, and I know that for you to be into this particular genre, you're very knowledgeable of it. And of course, you have to be in order to form a really deep appreciation for it. And one thing I do appreciate as a observer is that you give, like you know, James Brown would say, about to get a drummer song. So he would like <laughs> he would let him he would let him do what he do because God, he's not just a, he's not just a, a drummer like he he speaks like I do, he doesn't sing, but he speaks, and even with his band, um, he called him the Mighty JBs, mm-hmm. and he uh, I remember one performance he did, it was like I'm, I'm sorry just I'm get a little no. get a little geeked out about this, no. but um, he did a performance in '85 it was actually here. In Augusta, mm-hmm. he had on a green jumpsuit, no sleeves, he had a gold <laughs> chain, and he had some guys on horn, and they they were playing. But in the middle, he would say, "Give it up for the mighty JB." Like he will always give him credit, Absolutely. like his band. And I'm like, "That's what's up." So what you would do is you would acknowledge everybody that's there, and everybody has this. Uh, predisposition of saying the singer is the is the is, is the highlight of whatever's going on. It's all about the singer, and it's not. No, especially when it comes. To I jazz don't like music. that. Yeah, I don't like that. And you don't you don't mind taking the background. I I literally would not be able to. We create a moment together. Yeah. You know what I'm saying, and I get it. I'm standing in front of the mic, and I guess I'm. Not hard to look at, you know <laughs> what I'm saying. So it's it's the vocalist is definitely there's there's this presence that you have to have, but it's not about me, and I don't ever want it to be. I don't ever want it to be about me. I want it to be first about the song, and secondly about the group. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know sometimes I. Sometimes I am enjoying, I, I don't want to go back to the mic because I'm enjoying what my friends are doing so much on their respective interest, in instruments. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm just, when it comes to jazz, one thing that I've got to get better at, actually when it comes to just performing and creating music in general, but mm-hmm. especially music that involves improvisation, I've got to enjoy the moment a little more and I've got to be more vulnerable. That those are two things I've got to grow in. Mm-hmm. But you know, I I am very privileged privileged to play with and perform with musicians who care very very deeply about mm-hmm. what they do, about their instruments. Yeah. And 
I I need people to know them. I need people to know who my friend, who these musicians are. Mm-hmm. I am a supporter and a fan of these musicians. Yeah. And I'm honored to be on stage with them because I'm not the most talented person in the group. That's just not true. Mm-hmm. And I'm not the most... Imp- I, I definitely deliver the melody. You know, I have a job. I have a role. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm just not... I don't ever want it to be about me. And it's funny you said that because that concept spills over into your activism and the ability to emphasize on equality and in light of everything that's going on. You're, you're, you're concerned about, because in the South, it's primarily, unfortunately, it's primarily, it's always going to be a black and white issue. But there are other fights to, to fight that need Absolutely. to be fought. Absolutely. And there's yes. other, and one that I wanted to touch base with you is the equality of, or inequality of women and society. Because as mm. a man, we can't, and it's funny about this because when it comes to situations with uh, African Americans, it's, it's very, it's not easy for, it's something that most white individuals can't see. Mm-hmm. They just can't see it. And as men, when it comes to you all as women, there's just something that we can't see. But honestly, when it comes down like to the, to the papers, to the um, actual documentation, you all work for less than we do as far as pay. And I never paid attention to that into the last few years. I honestly thought that as a man, I'm obviously in pay as much as this woman is, but I've been working next to. And it's and I'm thinking that, wow, there's a lot of women that actually do more than most men. But this, how do you feel about women and well, equality as far as between men and women today? Do you think that it's progressing or would it ever get to the point where we will be on a, a level playing field? Well, you know I'm going to shoot it to you straight. Mm-hmm. I I think that this is better than it has ever been, and we could easily look through history and prove that, yeah. right? Like it, mm-hmm. and and there there's still some residual things even within our laws, some things that are codified that we just haven't had to deal with. So it's still in the books, real real deep in those pages, and you have really really weird situations where it'll come out and it's like, what? That's a law, <laughs> and then we deal with it. You know, yeah. we address it. And, but there's, there's, I do not know how anybody could say that it has not improved and that it hasn't gotten better. Um, and I don't say that to say, you know, we should just be content with what, what we have and, and we should just, you know, enjoy this peace and, and just deal with what, you know, just, just deal with the, take, take the little struggles we got now. And just be, just appreciate the fact that we can get our own credit cards now. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that. But I definitely want to say, we are, 21st century American women are some of the most free women that the world has ever seen. Ever. And we, that comes with a weight. I feel a weight to that. I don't say that in a bragging way or in an accomplished way because I know that I inherited privilege. I didn't earn that on my own. I just so happened to be born in a time period Mm -hmm. where we have certain rights that so many women never had and worked towards. So 
there's a responsibility and a weight that comes with that. And I think that on the topic of, excuse me, I got to, oh, sorry, thank mm-hmm. you. On the topic of the, the income gap, wage gap, mm-hmm. I don't think it's as simple as we make it out to be. I think there are some compl- complexities within that, mm-hmm. but I definitely know that there are certainly, there's certainly positions where women are passed over for, and that's definitely an income cut. There are certainly positions that women are in and their male counterparts make more than them even though they're doing the same job. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the wage thing is a little more complex than people want us to be aware of because people have agendas and people want to use certain things to push their agenda. Yeah. So, um, you know, when it all comes down to it, I... I believe that our relationship, the the male, man, woman, we've got a lot of baggage that we've inherited over the centuries. There's a lot of wrong teachings, false teachings that men have been taught and that they have internalized and, and the, the ways that women are viewed and those things are false and those things are oppressive mm-hmm. and those things are very very difficult to dismantle and we need men in the fight the only way we're going to i mean it's it's just just like as you said earlier there's things that you know people of another ethnicity can't really see and can't really experience so they don't understand it in that same way, there's some things that unless unless someone sacrifices some of their privilege, unless someone willingly does it, and unless someone listens and takes the, uh, the discomfort and sits in that and actually considers seriously what we're trying to say, it's going to be very difficult for this dynamic to change because we're talking about centuries of brainwashing of women are inferior and Mm -hmm. women are seductresses and women should not be in this subject and women women don't have a place in this area this these are their places in society and this is the epitome of womanhood all of those lies all of those things there we still have some of that and i guess i say all of that to say yeah, sure, I want us to get paid more. I, ultimately, I think that the, the pay thing is just symbolic of we're not valued equally. We're, there's an there's a actual belief and an actual mindset that has to be dismantled before we'll be paid equally. Mm-hmm. Or, <clears throat> or, you know, we'll, we'll whine and we'll, we'll, we'll yell and we'll eventually wind up getting paid more, but then it'll switch and it'll be in some other area that is unequal. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. we didn't attack the foundation of the issue. Mm-hmm. So, I just, I don't know. I think that there's a serious need for men to become well acquainted with history, with with their own history, and, and with things that have been taught, and with with behaviors that are acceptable that shouldn't be Mm -hmm. 
and you know it's I can't I can't teach you that I can't I'm not saying you specifically I'm just saying women it's it's almost like with the ethnicity thing you have one group trying to teach someone and actually this person all of the people who can and who are interested need to self-educate and they need to listen. Everyone needs to listen. And then that's how it's going to change because this, pers- this, this group is still dealing with a lot of the stuff. So it costs energy and it costs time away and effort away from actually fixing things yeah. to stop and have to. Even though that's necessary, I'm just saying to a certain degree, it's racism is the problem of not the ethnic group that's dealing with it, but the ethnic group that's doing it. Mm-hmm. And sexism is not, that's not women's fault. That's something that men need to do something about and deal with. And we can talk about the different ways that it affects women, but ultimately, I think it's going to be important for men to go through all of their teaching, to, to actually think about, <clears throat> with, with the media, and with just all of the different things in the ways that we reinforce and that we're socialized to think about women, ultimately, it's going to take a male standing up and not, 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 um, you know how they make commercials a certain way because it, it actually succeeds in getting males' attention. Yeah. Maybe, maybe if the, maybe the paradigm will shift when, <clears throat> Men decide we like something else now, or or we we no, we're not going to respond to that. We're not going to entertain that anymore. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's super. I don't want to be cynical. I don't really think that's going to happen on a large scale. I think that can happen on a community level, but yeah. you know, I just I think ultimately the wage gap and and all of these things that we're seeing is it can be traced back to centuries of the aggressive devaluing of the woman's worth, the woman's ability, the woman's intelligence, blaming us for the fall of creation. You know, just all of it together creates, oh, well, it's okay for us to pay them less because, oh, it's okay for us to not give them paid leave because, I, I mean, it's just... It only makes sense that this is the way society is because we've been taught that women are worth less. That's that's very difficult for me to accept growing in a house full of women. Mm. Very independent women, very strong willed women, intelligent women. Like it's when I hear this, I'm like, man, I, it's, it's, I can't fathom that. Because I've seen women do things, take initiatives that other men should have, but don't. Case in point, involuntarily becoming both parents. Mm-hmm. No woman mm-hmm. acts. They you don't. You're not born asking for that role. When I'm you're telling you, when yeah. you're when you're a baby, like you you have like you see little girls carrying around the babies, and you're like, okay, well, eventually she's probably not there yet, there yet where she wants to have a husband because eventually she will. Yeah. But when you're that young, you never accept the fact that maybe I might have to raise this child on my own. Like you don't think about that. But it's just, that's something that I can't get on board with, the inequality. Because my mom and my sisters and many of the women that I've met 
have done some awesome and great things. Mm-hmm. And you're, you all become somewhat superheroes, somewhat superheroes. Oh, wow. In a sense. So uh, that's why, that's one of the reasons why I love uh, the Wonder Woman film. Oh, my goodness, that movie. I mean, they... Oh, my goodness. <laughs> man, that, that epitomizes womanhood. Even though this fight was taking place, um, I think maybe it was the 20s, maybe the 20s or the 30s, or maybe a little bit later than that. But it's relevant to now because a lot of you all are able of handling your own business. Yes. And doing getting things done, and now it is becoming a privilege for women. And I tell men, if I could, my advice to younger men would be: it is best to be wanted by a woman than needed. Mm-hmm. Because when you're wanted, they make make room for you. They make room. Right. When you're needed, they're like, well. I need you for this. I mean, but when you you have everything constructed, but you're like, you know what? I would like to have this this gentleman in the midst of everything that I do, because most women are capable of handling their own situations. So that's I have my own personal opinion, and I agree with you all mm-hmm. simply because of my experience. Um, but I know we got like a few minutes. Um. One thing I do want to touch base in, based on you mentioned it before, the foundation and the the foundation of who and what you are, as an artist, as as a wife, and as a mom. Um, uh, for those of you who haven't had the pleasure of meeting uh, Miles, uh, he's pretty, very inquisitive young man. Um, <laughs> she recently posted a video. Of him listening to a song, um, and he was his his eyebrows do this, this thing. <laughs> the brows. And I'm like, the he's brow. like, what's what is this this nonsense? And I was like, I trust you. I know exactly how you feel, man. Um, but he's he's just it's amazing to see you all, both of you, and and him as parents. Uh, but aside of aside of, on the side of that. How, how has your, your faith in God had a role in all aspects of your life? Like, what is, what, how has it built that, it being the foundation? How has that structured the many roles that you play in your life? Honestly, um, what faith does for me is it, it challenges me in excruciating ways mm-hmm. that that force me to deal with the darkness in me and that force me to deal with um, just the the ugliness that I, I hide from everyone else and the ugliness that that hurts others. It mm-hmm. forces me to confront those things. And I say excruciating, but not because it's it's awful, but just because it's it's extremely difficult, and it's a process, and it's hard. And but then, faith. My faith also serves as one of the most liberating. It sets me free because I'm dealing with the darkness, and because I'm dealing with the lies that I believe. I am freed up and liberated to 
put my energy and focus and mind towards things that are informed by truth and are actually healthy and good, good things, mm -hmm. good things that are um, pretty much informed by, uh, by a perspective of, you know, a radical definition of what love is. That's universal. All humans are asking the question at one point in their life, am I loved? Am I lovable? Am I, will I find true love? Love is such a huge, huge aspect of what it is to be human. Mm -hmm. It's a huge need for all of us. And we don't express it in the same way and we don't receive it in the same way, but it is a need for all of us. Yeah. And when faith redefined, I, I had gotten into some really serious self-destructive and, and harmful habits destructive habits that um, just just would not have led to me realizing my full potential. But even, it's not even about me, but some habits that just would distract me from actually contributing or, or moving forward in my purpose and why I've been sent here. Mm -hmm. And so redefining love for me was, a, it, I was looking for love in the wrong places. And I was willing to compromise and settle for that. But as I grew in my faith, I grew in the excruciating ways of realizing how I was hurting myself and how I was hurting others. And I was freed up to actually let go of my fears of, you know, I'm never going to find true love. Or I might not actually be lovable. I might not be a lovable person. And I was able to have a secure, one of the most secure, one of the most, the places of the most sure security that I've ever experienced because it doesn't depend on another human being and it doesn't even depend on me. So it's external of all of those unsure things. Um, so basically my faith offers me a butt whooping, like I, it, it, it chastises my ego it informs my, the way that I live, the way that I see others, the way I see myself, yeah. um, the way that I value things in the world. And it frees me up to actually prioritize in, in, in the way that I am informed and in the truths that I discover. It frees me up to focus on those things. And those things are far more satisfying. Those things are far more healthy and not destructive like the other, the ways that I was pursuing. And um, there's a lot of, there. I have gone through, I am constantly questioning everything and testing everything. So my faith is not one of those things where I don't need to know, you know, like I, I'm just, I'm comfortable with clinging to this belief. I'm more so like, let me test it, let me, sh let me research it, let me know for sure. Um, and that's, that's also been something that has changed me and, and caused me to also question the things that I cling to outside of faith and, and question what society is telling me and even questioning how I grew up and the things I was taught, you know, so... Yeah. 
it's just a when we say foundation that's just exactly what it is because everything else can fall apart but that's the foundation and it's so sturdy and it's lasted through the hardest situations of my life through the darkest moments of my life through um the most questionable my, my times of questioning and with with my doubt and cynicism i it's it's survived and it's my constant and and it's Specifically, you know, I do describe myself as a Messianic disciple. I am a disciple of the Hebrew Messiah, Yeshua. Many call him Jesus. But I am a disciple and I study. I study his teachings. I study the scriptures that he learned from. I study the culture that was his. I study and then I think and I try to contextualize it to my life today and I, I try to think about history and I try to think about um, the, the patterns that I've seen as a result of this way of life versus the patterns that I've seen in other areas. And, you know, I, I definitely don't want to have the attitude that I have figured it out mm-hmm. and all of these other different belief systems are inferior. I don't want to ever communicate that, but I'm, I'm definitely certain that my belief system is real and it's true yeah. because the things that I've seen and the things that I've experienced, I can't explain away. So even if I wanted to say, I don't want to do this anymore, I could never be able to say it's because it wasn't true. Mm-hmm. Or I could ne- I've, I've seen it also in other people's lives, changes being made and transformations and redemption and reconciliation and healing, things that cannot be explained away. So it's one of those things where I don't want to... I don't want to say we're the only ones that know truth about this, 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 and this. Because there, it is possible for other people to know things that are true. Yeah. But the, the system and, and the, the thing that I have found in my faith, I've been through some things that, honestly, I just, people just don't make it out of mentally stable. It, it, and I'm not saying, well, it's because of my faith that I have this mentally stable. Because even people who fall apart mentally, they can still have strong faith. Yeah. But it's just, I know what I've experienced. <laughs> and I know, I know the person who I was before I found this faith. Yeah. And it, it wasn't pretty. And I wouldn't, you would not, you, if you found out certain things about me, you would look at me differently. There's no question about that. And if you found out some other things about me, you would be like, that's not, if we, if we just said it in general about a person, you'd be like, no, there's no way that's Monet. Mm-hmm. But there's a transformation that has happened, and I'm not done. I have so, much, so, so many areas to grow in, but I guess I'm just really, 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 really amazed at what I've come from <laughs> and, and the path that I am on because of my faith. Yeah. The path and the trajectory that I'm on, I just, I, I understand that people have doubts and I respect that. I respect all questioning. I just can't deny what I've experienced and what I have witnessed. I have to witness, I have to bear witness about what I've seen and what I've experienced. So, yeah. this is what I've experienced, you know. So, um, yeah, it changes, it changes so much. It's, it's even marriage, you know, just being in a relationship with someone else. And of course, again, I have to throw out a disclaimer. I'm not saying that we're the only people who can have a healthy marriage. People who, who you know, go by the Bible. 
Um, I, I'd definitely be willing to go tit for tat and, and, and discuss with someone, you know, some the principles that I have found in faith mm-hmm. in comparison to other principles. I would definitely be willing to say this is one of the best models. It, it, I don't know if it has a strong contender. I don't know. I'd be willing to learn, but, you know, I'm, I'm very confident that the, the counseling that Chris and I received mm-hmm. when we were dating before we got engaged and then when we were engaged before we got married, we had counseling. And I'm telling you, it's, I don't, I don't think we would have made it. I don't, I don't think we would have made it without that counseling or without the faith journeys that we both have made. Yeah. So we, we've grown, and I guess the, the whole point is my faith grows, and then I wind up growing. Then my faith grows again, and then I wind up growing. And so it, it's, it's touching every area of my life, and I'm, I'm deeply satisfied with the path. I, I guess the whole point is you can't create contentment. You either have it or you don't. That's not something you can fake. There's this this unrest that human beings have, and some of us try to drown it out with by leaving consciousness, so we go towards drugs. Some of us try to drive it out with pleasure in, in whatever way. Some of us try to drown it out with work, and we want to accomplish things and achieve notoriety. But, you know, when someone has found peace and when someone has found contentment, you definitely want to talk to that person because yeah. that's not common. You know, so honestly, I I am in the midst of even finding, discovering another layer and in, 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 in other things about my faith that I never even knew. So it's I'm always learning something, and it's it's always throwing me like into a world when I'm like, whoa, I didn't even know this. Yeah. And so you know, I fight it and I, I challenge it, and I'm like, man. Gosh, I actually don't want that to be true, but if it's the truth, then I have to accept it. Yeah. So I, I think that, that is living honestly and living um, free, that's what I need. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that touches every area of my life. And it's funny you said that because every time I am. Have... Certain conversations with, with Adrian, she would say, if you wouldn't like me the way that I was before I got saved. Mm. And it's real. Yeah. <laughs> Cause, it's real. Because I was like, at, at that point, I was like, hmm, I wonder what kind of. <laughs> because, yeah. there, you know, there's still a lot of things that I'm still learning about her and she's learning about me. And oh, yeah. I, I told her, um, if we. If we uh, if we tried to date maybe five or six years ago, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, nope, yeah. there's nope. Yeah, it's a process. No, and that and it's that that one moment in your life mm-hmm. where you like, I have to change. Yes, I have to. Yeah, and her dad put it perfectly. Like this applied to anything in life. When you get tired of being tired things change. True. <laughs> it, it True. changed dramatically. And I think I've mentioned this before, and I'll say this before I let you go. Um, the moment I realized I needed to change was I was uh, looking in the mirror, and I had I had earrings on. Mm-hmm. And 
matter of fact, they weren't even my earrings, they were my, mom, my mom's earrings. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow. And I remember why I got the earrings. Like, I was a sucker for women. Like, just, and I got them because I asked the girl, they said, how do you think I would look with earrings on? She said, oh, you look cute. So, at that moment, I pulled over to Walmart and I got some earrings. And from that point on, up until the time I officially took them out, mm -hmm. I was like, I don't like what I see. Because I tell Adrian all the time, I was I was a punk. Oh wow! Like I was so there's a lot of things that I didn't do, not because it was the right thing to avoid, but because I was mm. I was actually scared. Okay, that's fair. That's honest. I was actually you know? scared. And, that's honest. And, no one can use it against you now because you you you're upfront with yourself. And to uh, to look back. And be like, I'm not, I can't, I can't do that anymore. Especially, and it's, and it's, and it's good to have the mentality now, but when you have somebody else in the picture, you have a spouse, and then you have a child that's going to literally pay attention to everything you do, everything you say. You're like, I have no choice. I have no choice. So, um, but eventually, um, for those of you who are listening, I'm, might end up interviewing her again because we can't. Is there so much I want to touch base on? <laughs> and I can only do so much in an hour, but um, I do want to thank you for your time. It is an honor. Um, Seriously. Uh, currently, her husband Chris is tending to miles outside. So for them to take an hour and a half out of your life, it, like it really, really means a lot to me. Oh, absolutely. And uh, you all's lives really. Like most people, it's just I've I meet I've met you, and I've gotten a chance to know you. But to be able to pull back those layers, when it, when you're willing to allow me to do so, allows me to understand why I never knew that, and it explains this and explains that, and this goes along with the concept of developing conversations, and it stemmed from our downtown yes. panels because you don't know what anybody's thinking unless somebody comes forward and they say something. And for you to actually have a conversation with someone, you will always find commonality. Always. True. No matter what it is. This is true. You will always find it. And because there was somebody that I worked with that I had a problem with. And I found out that we both watched the same show on Netflix. Because as soon as I said it, her <laughs> face lit up. And wow. we just, everything's just been smooth sailing from that point on. Wow. And I, I would literally go to work worried walking on eggshells mm. and I literally needed prayer for that and I went and I remember going to church and they were doing an altar call and I said I have to go up there and I held this man's hand and I said just pray for me and my job mm. and he just he just prayed and I was like this is exactly what I needed and then that happened and like you said when wow. things happen you there's no other reason for it there's no other reason None whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And you know it's something much bigger than yourself. Yeah. And you know, and it's funny because our our lives have been completely orchestrated way before we were born. Right. So, bless you. Thank you. So when everything, right. something happens, like God always have a contingency plan. And it's, and it's like, it's, you do something like, man, I screwed up. God, like, no, you didn't. Like, I... This is right here. You, you're <laughs> about to, a great point. You're about to meet it in just a few seconds or a few years. Trust me, you're right. not too far away from your solution and for wow. what I have planned for you. 
So, uh, thank you again. Um, yes, went sir. over our time just a little bit. Hopefully. Well, I'd be honored to come back if you'll have me. Yes. <laughs> yes, because there's some because a lot of some things are gonna be taking place, and and I wanted to get your opinion on because tomorrow, oh, of yeah. course, is the rally. That I guess I the uh, government yeah. approved. They approved of it. I don't and think it, so. So this is gonna happen regardless. The rally is gonna yeah. happen, but I think the state has written the law that nothing can be moved. I think we traded the redesigning of Georgia's flag. Okay. You remember back when it had the Confederate flag? Yeah. I think that was the trade-off. Okay, we'll change the flag, but no monuments can ever mm. be changed or moved or any type of nothing. Wow. I know. I know. Mm. But it's, it's not discouraging because people are creating awareness. Yeah, this is true. So. And you know we have bigger bad. It's it's good to talk about this, but there's other things that we can improve. You know. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. I'm I'm proud of them for doing the rally. I I do want us to focus our energy where it's needed, though. Yeah. And I I I think that the conversation was an opportune moment, but let's get back to work when it's over. You know, let's not lose focus. Yeah. Well, I do appreciate you um, interviewing not just as who you are but an actual citizen of, like, this is, when you hear people say, this is my city, this is literally your city, and you've yeah. created a organic relationship with it. And I find, what I find always is impressive. You can't go anywhere without somebody knowing you. And that's like, that's what's up. And that's good. And they never approach oh, you wow. with anything less than a hug. Oh. <laughs> so that's, that's good I'm that you honored. actually... I am honored. I don't deserve it, but I'm so grateful for it. <laughs> I'm so grateful for it. And I, I was like, that's, that's I make enough trouble to wake. You know, it's like <laughs> I'm glad that y'all still love me because I know I'll raise hell when it's time. <laughs> you have to deal with that side of me. But yeah, thank you so much, bro. Oh, no problem. Uh, again, this is episode 11 of the Glory in Our Stories. This is Calvin Peterwell. I uh, just got through interviewing uh, the awesome and the wonderful uh, Monet Robinson, a.k.a. Nefertiti.